Well, good morning again, guys. Um, thank you for the waves. It's good. Um, before I get rolling this morning with our, our message series, I want you to know just a couple things. Uh, what's happening next up here uh, as you come Sunday mornings, uh, for the next four weeks, uh, we have some unique um, opportunities for guys to speak to you, uh, and, and I want you to know that. The next two weeks, I will be in Barbados. Probably next week, I'll be... I'm not sure yet if I'm speaking at Berean Bible Church, but we'll find out if I'm speaking at Berean Bible Church when I walk in there. Um, And then, uh, so next week, Chuck Holt, director of the Factory Ministries, will be bringing the message. Um, Following that, then Pastor Joel, who's on vacation today with his family, will be bringing the message. Then I will return and I will will bring a message. And then we have, um, on August 31, Derek Slayball will be up here. And so bring your tomatoes that day for Derek. Um, He just learned that he's speaking. Um, And so here's what we have for the next four weeks. We have basically the question of what is God teaching you? What's closest on your heart? Um, Really a lot of flexibility and and movement now and freshness, if if you will, with what is is kind of on the hearts of of each of the next four speakers as we go. So we're in that season now in, in August where that will be what will happen the next several weeks, which is kind of neat because you have a real opportunity to respond as a speaker to what you see going on in your life and perhaps what you see around you. So that'll be for the next four weeks. I want you to know after that, summer will be over uh, and we'll be into the, the school year. Officially, this will be after Labor Day. And after Labor Day, we're going to start a new series. I just want you to know about it now. We'll talk more about it later. But essentially, after Labor Day, um, here's my belief that there are a lot of people in the Bible who are worth looking at um, in terms of their character and how God has shaped them and moved them, and they're very helpful for us to learn about today. And one of those people we're going to look at um, for a section of time, about five weeks, and we're starting a new series after Labor Day. And here's a quick look at it. It's called Fearless. It's a new series which I'm excited about. Um, We're looking at this issue of fearing less and stepping into things that uh, often have kind of kept us caught in a stare down with our fear and what we know we need to do before God. And we're going to look at a character in the Old Testament and learn from him about what that looks like. All right, so fearless is beginning after Labor Day. All right, there we go. Public service announcements are over. Here we go. We are now at the conclusion of a new series called Anchor Point, um, and this, this is part number 11 of 11, and this whole series has is, is been built up and framed up to give us something to hold our faith to in times of um, mental intellectual doubt, in times of spiritual doubt, in times of emotional relational stress when we're not sure if we really believe and hold on to what our parents taught us is really true, you know, and what our grandparents believed, is this really mine, and all of that kind of doubting and uncertainty that comes, and this series is kind of designed to anchor us to something, and it's a series um, based on a little book that Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, wrote um, back in the early church time period. And here's what he said at the end of his letter, and we've kind of come back to this at the beginning of each message, that I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. So this is the true grace of God, stand fast. If you're going to stand anywhere, stand fast in this, that this is true. This is what is right. This is what you should anchor your life to, okay? And this is where Peter goes. And so, in my opinion, it's worth asking the question, Peter... What is it? What do I need to hold, hold to? What is it that I need to look to? What is the true grace of God? And so we've done that for many weeks now. And we began the series with this big idea that I am not the center of the universe and God is. And I've kind of come back to that each time and said, if we can actually get our minds and hearts around that, that fixes a whole lot about our world and the struggles and the tensions that we have when we realize the whole world doesn't need to be explained to me or to you because we are not God. 
he is. And so we need to trust that. And there's some things we need to know, even if they're not fair, we just need to know that they're true. All right. And so we've talked about that. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, one more issue, uh, and then we're going to wrap up the book. Uh, and to, to kind of get this set up for you in your minds, I just want you to think about, um, at, at a broad stroke here, I want you to think about the importance of leadership in your life, the importance of people who have been good leaders in your life, uh, and, and also the importance of um, how you have followed them either well or have not followed them well. So think about leadership for a minute, and, and here's what we know, that in times of transition, in times of leadership transition, and you're wondering who's going to lead next, there's always questions and anxiety that comes. So whether that's uh, you're on a, a sports team in high school and the seniors graduate and you wonder what will our team chemistry be like next year, some fear and uncertainty around that. Whether you're in business and you know, the, the CEO or the CFO is kind of moving on or the owners are selling the business to somebody else and you wonder what will the new owners do, will I still have a, a job you know, here or not. Or if you're in a family and the patriarch or the matriarch passes and you wonder, okay, who's going to provide leadership now to our family and what is that new kind of phase going to look like? Or go back in time to when you were on the playground in elementary school and you wonder on the playground, okay, you know, junior, he, he you know, Joey was in fifth grade and now he's in sixth grade and he's going to another building. So who's going to be, who's going to tell us what teams to be on and, you know, in, for soccer in playground, you know, during recess, who's going to tell us? So at every time in life, whenever there's a leadership transition, there's always times of uncertainty and anxiety around what is going to happen next and who's going to do what. And that's just reality. And here's what I want to say, that leadership uh, transitions and leadership issues are just as important, if not more important, within the church context for how you process your faith. So here's the thing, that I would like to argue that um, both uh, how people lead and how people follow become probably the most constant impact or pushing on your spiritual well-being. I want to say that again, that I think, in in my opinion, that within the church context, within your spiritual well-being, the thing that I believe that, that shapes you most constantly as you try to figure out how do I relate to God is the quality of leadership that you put yourself under and the quality of followership that you allow yourself to exert. Because you're listening to or you're giving authority to people in your life who are giving you advice or perspective on who God is. And you are responding to them as followers either in a positive, supportive way or sometimes in a mixed way or sometimes in a, ooh, I don't know if they're really right, maybe critical, kind of judgmental way as well. And I tend to think that the most impactful piece of how we understand our relationship with God and with one another is kind of a structure of how leaders and followers work together within the context of a church. See, Peter was dealing with this at this point in his letter. He's coming to the end of it, and he's writing to people in the northwest province of Rome. And he comes to the very end, and if you think about writing a letter to somebody, you want to be sure at the end, have I gotten all the stuff out of my brain that I wanted to get out? Is there anything left that I didn't communicate to them that I should be sure that they know? Ah, yes, it's this. And Peter is going to give to the little church in Rome this perspective that now he's going to speak to the leaders and to the followers in the church in Rome. And he's going to essentially say to them, the system of leadership and followership that you have is so important to set up. It's so important to set up because it's going to impact how you see God. It's going to impact whether you are able to stay on mission or not. Who your leaders are, 
and who your followers are and how we play nice or don't play nice together. It's going to be so critical for the health of the church moving forward. And so here's what I, what I want to say. Big idea, big teaching principle is this. That, oh, sorry, here we go. Big teaching principle is this. How you lead and how you follow reveal ultimately what and who you believe, but what you believe. How you lead and how you follow reveal what you believe. It just does, and we see that within the context of our experience. Now, here's what I want to say about leadership and followership within the context of what Peter is writing to this church in in Rome, in northwest province of Rome, that leadership and followership, the structure of the church, how leaders lead, how followers follow, um, are both, and here's two words for you, are both temporary and transcendent. Um, Maybe big words, but I need to find a T word because of my obsessive-compulsive nature trying to find something that goes with a T, temporary. So here's the thing. This structure that Peter gives to the church and that we even have today is, number one, you need to understand this, is temporary. We're kind of in a holding pattern between when Christ came and died on the cross and resurrected and until he comes again. And so kind of everything is temporary. The whole system, the way that we govern ourselves, the way that we function as a church is temporary. This is not meant to be the end game. But we need a plan in the interim for how we're going to get along, how we're going to lead, how the mission of the organization of the church is going to move forward. We need a plan. We need a system. But we need to understand the system is flawed because there are sinners in both leaders and followers. So we have a flawed system. It's temporary. But it's also meant to be transcendent, meaning that the leaders you see and the followers that we become are meant to kind of remind us that there's something beyond us. In other words, your dependence, and you know this, your dependence is not on your leaders. Your dependence as a Christian, as someone who's following Jesus, is on God, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who is above all. So leadership and followership is meant to kind of take us and help us transcend our human experience and go beyond ourselves to God. So leadership structures are important, but they're not everything. They're temporary systems, if you were built to help us keep on mission and on focus within the context of the church. And so Peter writes to the people in northwest province of Rome, and this is like, this is the last thing I want to be sure that you get before I'm done. I want to be sure that your leadership is set in place, and I want to be sure that as followers of those leaders that you know how to function as well, because it's so important. Because those relationships between your leaders and your followers are going to be the most constant reminder of how you're going to see God. It's going to be the most constant, constant shaper of your spiritual life, your experience with those leaders and with the followers, right? So here's, here's what he says. In 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going. If you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you to, to grab your friends before they notice that you took it or uh, grab one in the pew around you, and we're going to roll right into 1 Peter chapter 5. This morning, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, there's one uh, around you. That's our gift to you this morning. First uh, Peter is in the New Testament, the right third of your Bible. It comes after the book of Hebrews and then James, and then you'll find First Peter uh, there as well. All right. So First Peter chapter five, beginning at verse one, and uh, our little our, our friend the, the apostle Peter, uh, very charismatic, strong character guy, is writing a follower of Jesus, and he writes this. Uh, first four verses we'll read together. I'll, I'll read for you here. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. All right? So here's verses 1 to 4 about leadership and your structure, if you will, of leaders. What is to be expected from leaders? And Peter writes to what he calls elders of the church there in, in the northwest province of Rome. Now here's what you need to know. Um, many of you may know that, that some poor shepherd boy in Israel found a, a bunch of documents uh, many years ago in, in the 60s uh, that were... Uh, now called the Dead Sea Scrolls, in a cave, uh, the Qumran cave discovery. Um, And in those documents, we have uh, early manuscripts of the New Testament documents that were written and transmitted and copied and passed down from generation to generation. And they provide some of the best manuscript evidence for the New Testament that you have in your hand right now. They support and strengthen what we already knew uh, was an authoritative uh, Bible that we now have. But they also had additional information. They kind of had... Um, like social descriptions of how uh, people would interact within that time period, within the New Testament time period and just beyond it. And so in one of those Qumran manuscripts, one of those Qumran uh, documents was written this about describing the role of an overseer because this is how he begins to describe um, elders. In verse 2, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers. It's a key question if you're an elder, um, what does that mean, number one, to be an elder? But if you happen to be an elder, what does it mean to be an overseer? And here's how it's described, and here's how it would have been understood if you were in um, Rome hearing what Peter is writing. Here's what would have been in your mind, and it's written in one of these Qumran documents, that this is the rule for the overseer of the camp. He shall love the congregation, the group of people, as a father loves his children and shall carry them in all their distress like a shepherd his sheep. There's an ancient document saying this is what an overseer does, just metaphorically metaphorically here, as a father loves his children and, and shall carry them in all the distress like a shepherd his sheep. And so the spirit of overseeing, there is this shared assumption that if you're an overseer, You have this fatherly love for the people around you that a good father should have. And if you're an overseer, you have this this care, this protection, this courage for the people around you that a good shepherd needs to have to fight off that which will come to threaten the flock. And so this combination of this fatherly love and this kind of shepherd strength is what is written about as we try to understand what does an overseer do look like. Here at Grace Point, we have uh, bylaws and a constitution. Um, We have people now who function in the role of elders. Uh, We call them elders now. There are elders, if you will, ruling elders right now. In other words, their term is happening right now. At Grace Point, we have three-year terms for our elders, and they can be renewed. Right now, we have four, what we call lay elders, and be a call you out in Sunday morning church. Here we go. Brad Byler, Jesse Miller is going to Barbados with us. Um, Jim Mast and Dale Gaiman, um, who's in Costa Rica this morning yet, would be our lay elders. You guys as a congregation or as a membership have voted your approval for them. You also nominated them into those positions. But we also have men in this congregation now who are sitting here who have previously functioned 
in the role of elder, but currently do not sit in that seat of ruling elder. And those men I would still put in the category of influencing elder. In other words, your character hasn't changed over the years. Your, your spiritual insight has not been diminished. You just happen not to be in that seat of ruling elder. And so we're looking at now men and, and how in this leadership structure, what is it that you should expect? If you're in a, in a church context, what should you expect your leaders to look like? And here's what's so important for me to tell you is that if you're sitting here and someday you find another church or you go off to college and trying to find a church to be at or whatever, your friend takes you somewhere else and you like their, their music or their teaching better or whatever, that, that's fine. But, but as you think about leadership of the church, here's my hope for you, that whatever, wherever you find yourself, that as you look at who is leading your church, that you would expect that this is true of them. That you can look at your leaders and say, they, they care for us like a father cares for his children. They care for us like a shepherd cares for the sheep. This is the nature and the quality of leadership that Peter is saying, for now, for now temporarily in place until, until Christ returns, temporarily, these are the kind of people you want to have as leaders who will care for you in this way. We know that we don't always like what dad says, right? Let me just be clear on that. This doesn't mean that you need to like everything the leaders decide. It doesn't mean that you need to like everything your dad decides. But you need to know that your dad makes decisions based on what he thinks is best for you. And so this is kind of the context. Now, Peter clarifies a little bit, and he says kind of a a comparison contrast statement here for elders. He says, uh, verses 2 to 3, describing a little bit more what elders should be. They're shepherds of God's flock under your care, serving as overseers. And then he says, not because you must, but because you are willing. So there's this willing nature of being an elder, as God wants you to be. And then he goes on, he says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, if we stop on that, that sounds weird, because we don't pay our elders here, we never have. Um, But historically, elders, overseers were paid. That's the way that was. Now, you, if you're an elder now, you want to start that petition, that's up to you. But this is, this is the way it used to be. This is the way it used to be, all right? And this is what he's dealing with. Not eager for money, but eager to serve. And then thirdly, in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so you want to have elders, you want to have leaders like that who have power and have influence, but use that power and use that influence for your benefit who serve you with that power, not abuse you with that power, who care for you and love you as a father loves his kids and who protect you, who kind of get in front of you and absorb the things that might come your way and are caring for the benefit of the whole body. And that's what elders should be about. That's what they should be doing. That's what you should expect from elders within the leadership structure that you have placed yourself in. It is a tall task. Uh, there's no one among us who's Superman, right? There's no one here made of titanium or steel or whatever it is, right? So we are all fallen, sinful men and women, and we understand that. But at a, at a macro level, this is what elders should aim for. And as people, this is what we need to expect from leaders who serve according to how, how God has laid out what the expectations should be in this temporary structure until he returns. This is what elders and leadership should look like. So don't ever forget that. Kind of wherever you go from here, whatever church you happen to be involved in, don't ever forget kind of those principles, those categories, those characteristics of leadership. All right. Now, 
He goes on and talks not only about leadership, but then he moves on in verses 5 to, to 9 to talk about kind of followership. And I just made that word up because it went with leadership and I needed that, again, for my obsessive compulsive nature. So there you have it. Verse 5, young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older, meaning basically um, there are a lot of elders to be or elders in waiting. There are, there are a lot of men, even young men right now, who someday you will be in a position of church leadership. And I don't know who you are yet. I don't know who you are, but the point is, in the position where you are now, be submissive, in other words, be respectful, be, be in a position of support and care for those who are older. And be in that position of respect for them. Anticipating that there may be someday when you're in that position of leadership as well. And then he says, all of you. And so here's where we kind of get that followership from. All of you. So everybody within the body. So here's, let me just say this quick. A, a church is not not just about its leadership. That's so important for me to say to you because I don't know that, that anybody really comes or stays within the context of the church because, man, we just love the leaders. We really love the leaders. You know, that elder was really great up here. You know, that, that rarely happens. Rather, people experience you. They experience you. They experience you serving. They experience you inviting them to lunch. They experience you greeting them and saying hi and introducing them, your, yourself to them and saying, this is, my name is whatever, and you know, why don't you sit with me this morning? They experience your willingness to be a part of our community and serve in that way. And so they experience everybody. They experience all of us. So the church and its mission is not just about leaders being good leaders, but it's also about followers being good followers. And it's both. It's both are in play. Because the followers are absolutely necessary to create the culture, to, to sustain the vision and mission, and to do the things that we all should be doing. And so it's not just about leaders being, make sure they're outstanding citizens and all that. It's about all of us. Because all of us is what creates the movement and the mission within the church. If we don't serve, we're, we're out of the game. You know, if we don't give, we're out of the game. If, if we don't invite people and care for them, you know, we're out of the game. It, it, the mission is gone, and so we need everybody. We need everybody, leaders and followers. So he goes on to, say, to talk about followers. How do, how do we then follow well, and how do we support one another well? So verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You should know here, when he writes this, uh, he's using a phrase, basically, um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, gird yourself. How many of you use that term anymore? Gird your, gird, I'm going to go gird myself. All right. Gird yourself with a slave's apron, is literally how it can be translated. Gird yourself with a slave's apron. I used to work at uh, Burdenhand Restaurant many moons ago and was a short order cook there for a while, and that was good fun. Uh, kept the clock ticking by quickly for me, um, and it was fun. But here's what happened. Every time I go into work, um, I, I put on an apron. And there's something that happens when you do that. You're like, okay, now I'm at work. Right? I mean, okay, now I'm here. Now let's go. But until I do that, I'm like, yeah, I haven't really clocked in yet. I can say hi to whoever, but okay, now... Put the apron on. I could never figure out how to tie it in the back, so I wrapped it around and tied it in the front. All right, And then let's go, because now I'm at work, and I'm here to do work. I'm putting on the apron. And here's what Peter says to, to us as followers. All right, When you are thinking about the church, when you think about relating to one another, gird yourself up with the slave's apron. Put on the apron. Let's do work. Let's do the work of service to one another. And it changes your mentality when you think, all right, I've got to grab the apron. I'm serving the people around me. We're doing work. 
together. And I'm doing the work of service. And this is what followers do well. This is what creates and sustains the mission of the church. And then he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, just to be clear on this, I've said it before, I'm going to probably say it until either I die or get fired from here, I don't know which will come first, but humility to me is, humility, I have defined it before as aggressive service for God. You may not have heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again. Humility, I define as aggressive service for God. Meaning that humility is not passivity, humility is not weakness, humility is not, let me just take the back seat while someone else does the front thing. That's not humility. Humility is saying my life is not nearly as important as God's will, not nearly as important as what God wants. Therefore, I'm going to serve with whatever little resources I have, God's bigger agenda. And I'm going to aggressively serve with the resources I have, God's agenda. I'm getting after the things of him. I'm worshiping him well. I'm serving for his glory. And I'm getting after it for him. I'm getting to work. I'm doing the things I need to do as a Christian, but I'm aggressively serving, but not for me, for him. I'm not just about making money for me. I'm not just about making a reputation for me. I'm about making a reputation and a name for God. And so what do we need to do to make that happen? It's aggressive service for God, and that part is so important. Aggressive service for God. Who are you working for? Who are you studying for? Who are you planning for? I mean, this is, this is it. So humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. This is the activity of it. And then verse 7. Verse 7. And this is, this is probably the, the biggest um, unwritten um, descriptor what's actually going on in this area of the, the, the world right now, the great fear and anxiety that people are feeling because they're suffering under the unjust punishment and push of Rome who are saying that you guys, you Christians, you new religion, you're cannibals, right? You're, you're drinking blood of people and, and eating their flesh. You guys are, are not uh, following Rome anymore. You want to have your own king and kingdom and your own set of gods, and you're just socially back. You're no longer doing the things you used to do, and so there's this pushback, 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 and there is great fear and anxiety among the people about what is our future going to be. And for the first time, directly, Peter really addresses this issue. And he says in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Just a couple things to say about this really quick. This, this image of the, this verb is used when um, you think of Jesus coming into, the, um, uh, into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry as we call it, and um, uh, there are cloaks thrown over the donkey to make a saddle for Jesus. And it's that image of throwing it over, like just kind of toss it over. Uh, maybe you've been at the beach this summer and you want to go to your hotel room at night and dry your towel out and you kind of throw it out and over the, the balcony so it dries out at night. It's that image of kind of cast it, take it, and cast it out right on over. Cast that anxiety, take that care and cast it out on God for he cares for you. The second thing that's important to understand is that this doesn't say cast your anxiety on your elders. Does cast your anxiety on God. Now, not that the elders don't care, not that the elders don't, don't give a rip about your anxiety. That's not true at all. That fathers care about anxiety. Shepherds care about the anxiety. This is part of what elders care about. But this is why leadership structures are transcendent. They move us beyond just ourselves. Cast your anxiety on God. Take the anxiety and move it 
Pass it on to him who's really able to care for you because he is able to care for you. All right. Verses 8 and 9 give you something to think about. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so to kind of wrap up this section about followers, here's, here's what you need to know. That God is not the only one interested in your future. Your enemy is as well. Your enemy is just as interested in your future as God is. And he's going to be roaming around, looking to devour. That imagery of devouring is to eat whole. Um, you can just imagine Animal Planet um, you know, episodes where some wild animal is you know, swallowed whole by, I don't know, a python or something like that. You know, some thing where you know, kids look away, for, look away for a minute. You know, that kind of moment where it's like, ooh, does, you know, does that really happen in the wild? Like, yeah, that really happens in the wild. Of course it does. That's why it's called the wild. You know? and, and this is kind of what Peter's saying. That, listen, your enemy, the devil, roaming around, prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to just eat whole. So, you know, Watch out. <laughs> be alert. Now, be aware that the weaknesses, the, the struggles, the times when you're going to think of, I'm going to, eh, I don't know if that's really true. I don't know if it's really right. You know, everyone else is doing it, and why can't I? And like, mm, no one will really know if I, and all those little moments, you're just like, watch out. Watch out. Be self-controlled and alert. Because your enemy, the devil, is, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to eat whole, and he's just as interested in your future as God is. And so as we as followers and we as leaders work together to support in a temporary way, we end up saying, listen, let's work it together. Let's keep the mission, the vision, the encouragement of the church moving forward until such time as God returns, until such time as this temporary structure is set aside and the power and the glory of God returns. And that's where Peter finishes in verses 10 to 11. He says in verse 10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And there is this push there, and you see it, that there will come a time, there will come a time when this little leadership structure we have will no longer be necessary, when all the power and the glory will be turned to God where it needs to be and should be forever and ever. Amen. There's this hope, there's this anticipation that that will come. And until then, elders lead well, serve well. Followers follow well, care well support one another well, that the mission and the vision of the church in the middle of fear, great fear and great anxiety will continue to be sustained. Right. Now, so what? Real quick. So what? The church needs both good leaders and good followers. Now, I, I want to be clear. I don't have a, a hidden agenda for us as a church when I say this. In other words, I don't have something that I think you are not doing well that I'm hoping you just get and pick up that I think you need to follow better or elders you need to eld better or lead better. I don't have anything like that. If I did, I would say something about that, but I, I don't. But I do think this is so true that the church needs both leadership that is good and followership, quote-unquote, that is good, that is, that is biblically aligned that is striving for what is right biblically. We need that in the world of anxiety and fear and uncertainty of what will happen next. We need people who are creating, supporting, sustaining a vision and mission. We also need people who are working toward that on a very daily and regular basis. We just need one another to make this thing work. The church needs everybody to do their part. 
And there'll be times when you don't like the person next to you, you don't like what elders do. I get that, and we, there's ways to process that, and, you know, biblical ways to handle conflict and all that, and we, we can keep talking about that. But at a macro level, the church needs both good leaders and good followers. Not just good leaders, not just good followers. We need, we need both, right? Secondly, um, question. Do you need to grab an apron? <laughs> you need to grab an apron. In other words, is there any work that you need to do where you think, you know what, I, I am just not willing to serve this family. I am just not willing to give up this. You know, this person that I think about, I just can't imagine thinking of them in a clear and, and kind of humble way. I, yeah, they just get so much on my nerves. There's a reason why I sit up here and they sit back there, or I sit over here and they sit over I just can't, I can never get myself around that. And so the question is, all of you, all of you, Peter writes, all of you, humble yourself before God, all of you, all elders, pastors, leaders, followers included, all of us, do we need to grab an apron? As we think about our coming together and our serving out of here, do we need to kind of put that apron on and get to work in serving one another, kind of setting our agenda aside? So it's a question to ask. Number three is this. Humility is aggressive service for God. I've said that. I've kind of emphasized that. I can't emphasize it enough. I hope to root out any thought of passivity or weakness um, that you might have when it comes to being spiritual. I don't believe that's godly at all to kind of give up what is your influence for somebody else when you have the opportunity to influence and lead, to do that well for the sake of your God. That's godly. That's right. Humility is aggressive service for God. Where can you influence? Where can you lead? Where can you serve in your business and your work and your family for the things of God? Okay. So with all that being said, we kind of come back to the last verse here that, that we're going to look at. And this we've seen at the beginning, because right after what Peter just wrote and what we just said, he concludes with this. I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in this. Of all the things that are going to kind of pull you away, stand fast in this. And if you could kind of summarize what Peter is writing to the people in the northwest province of Rome, they are fearful, they are anxious, they are worried about their future, they're worried about their children, they're worried about their economic well-being, they're worried about their business and whether it's going to continue to function well and work. They're worried about whether they can even get together to worship or not. There is great fear and great anxiety within the context of this. And here's what Peter's saying. He's like, okay, so um, why does it surprise you that you will suffer for following Jesus? That's what we talked about last week. Why does it surprise you? Who do you think you're following? You know, Warren Buffett? Or you just get a bunch of money and live a life of ease? I mean, is that who we're following? You're following Jesus. What do you think happened to him? Why does it surprise you when suffering comes? Why does it surprise you when people misunderstand you? Why does it surprise you when you get judged for being a little Christ, which is a derogatory term? A little, you're a little Christ. Yeah, that's what we are trying to be. We're trying to be a little Christian, someone who follows Jesus. Why does it surprise you when people make fun of you for what you believe or people look sideways at you? Why does it surprise you? Who do you think you're following? That's what Peter says. He said, this is the true grace of God given to you. Stand fast in this. And then he says, in the midst of suffering, and we've seen it over and over and over and over and over again in this letter, in the midst of suffering, when that volley comes over the net, hit it back with good. Hit it back with good. Do good. Do good. Suffering. Do good. Do good. Grab the apron. Serve. Not only the people around you, but the community that we live in 
as well. The world that we happen to have an opportunity to influence, even beyond this community. Come on. When suffering comes, and it will, serve well, do good. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Who in the world do we think we're following? And I want to give you a minute. All right, I want to give you a minute at the end of this series, and we're, we're at the end now. I want to give you a minute to think through, okay, what is, what is my right response to this right now? What is it where I sit right now, and I've heard whatever for, maybe this is the first message that I've heard this from, maybe I've been hearing for weeks and weeks and weeks about this. What is it now that I need to do in response to this? What is it that the Spirit of God might be kind of speaking into my heart about that I need to respond to? What is it, who is it maybe that I need to serve, all right? How is it maybe that I need to kind of put on that apron of my mind when I go to work and think about the boss that I may not like? How is it that I need to go back to school in a couple weeks and be a leader within my school thinking that, okay, it is normal, it is normal for my friends to look at me weird because I'm a Christian? Yeah. They killed the person that you worship. What do you think they're going to do to you? I mean, it's not a surprise, that you should be judged. Our aim and our goal is not that we become people who are in the moral majority of the United States of America and get to lead a life of social ease. This is not what we've been called to or led to. We're called and led to a man, a God-man, who bore his own cross and walked into a city that he knew he was going to be both tortured and crucified. And so what do we expect? What do we expect will happen? And so I want to give you a moment now as you think and you're processing your own life situation. What is it the Spirit of God is speaking to you about? To say, all right, if this is the true grace of God, when suffering comes, when judgment comes, when I'm fearful and anxious about my future and I don't know what it's going to hold, what does it mean for me to stand fast in the true grace of God? What does it mean for my marriage? What does it mean for my dating world right now? What does it mean for my career plans? What does it mean for my parenting? What does it mean for the people that I work with? What does it mean for my worship and how I come to church and how I see my part in the mission of the church that I'm a part of? What does it mean for me and where and how do I need to respond? And so I'd invite the worship team to come on up right now if you can. And the worship team is just going to take a few moments um, and play in the background here while we take some time just quietly in your own heart, essentially to ask the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn? What's going on in my life that I need to see afresh? Um, David wrote in Psalm 139, um, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a great prayer. It's a great prayer for a time like this. I mean, God, hey, take it. (laughs) Take my heart. I mean, you lead. You show me. And I believe that he does. I believe the Spirit of God speaks to us in those moments. We ask the question, all right, it's not just about my life going forward. I'm going to kind of put a pause for a moment in life. It's amazing what a couple minutes of quiet will do. And I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to search me and show me and teach me. Where is it that I need to stand fast in the true grace of God and continue to lead and serve well according to the mission of the church and what the gospel means to me? So... Take a few moments right now. I will lead us out of this quiet time of reflection and prayer in just a few minutes. But for now, if you will, just close your eyes, bow your head if you're, if you're able or willing to do that. Um, and in quietness at least, uh, let's, let's ask the Lord together, God, what is it that you would have me do with what I have
Our good God and Heavenly Father, we are people who are dependent on you. We are people who are beneath your authority, who are just amazed that we have been given the invite into your presence through the blood of Jesus Christ, because we are so far from worthy of that invitation on our own. It's, it's amazing. What is man, as the psalmist are right, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we? What gives us the right to come before the God of the universe who created all things and by whom all things have been created and, and the sustainer of all of life and to come with our little slice of life and ask for help, ask for wisdom, ask for direction. And we're amazed that you have extended that invitation to us. So Father, I... I stand here now and we come before you now asking you to be gracious to us, to help us to see where we need the courage to step into areas of our lives that need that need that touch, that need that strength, that need that decision, that conversation that need the habit change, that need the, the email written or the text sent or the, the coffee scheduled, that need the conversation with our spouse or our, our coworker or you know, a family member, that need a movement from us in some way, shape, and form that we've been perhaps to this point unwilling to do. I pray that you would continue to make us and move us into men and women who are desperately dependent on you, who are not surprised by the judgments that come, are not surprised by the trials and suffering that come because we know that we follow a Savior who experienced the very same thing himself. And so I pray that you would give us great courage.